Children's Church. And would you open your Bibles to Luke chapter 17? Luke chapter 17. And we're looking at verses 20 and 21 today. Luke chapter 17, verses 20 and 21. And here's the question I want to pose this morning, a question that I wrestle with in different ways. Um, It's really, I think, in a sense, the thorniest question for those who would call yourselves a Christian. This is the most challenging philosophical question I think that Christians face. And, and maybe I could phrase it this way this morning. Um, did Christmas fail? Did Christmas not succeed? Did it not take? Uh, it, you know, we're, here, we're singing about Jesus. It's Christmas time. It's the birth of Jesus. Uh, and probably the, the main motif in the Christmas story and our Christmas carols is that Jesus came as the King. Uh, he's the king. The king has come to establish his kingdom. You know, we're going to sing joy to the world, right? Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. And then it's this whole song about the blessings of God coming through Jesus and the kingdom of God being established. Uh, we read the stories, uh, peace on earth, goodwill toward men, the angels say. And so supposedly through the coming of Jesus, there's peace, there's goodwill. But you know, when you look at our world... I think it's a legitimate question to ask, where is the peace? Where is the joy? I mean, you know, when I think of our world today, the, the song that does not come to my mind is, is not Silent Night, Holy Night. That's not the song that seems to describe the world in which we live with all of its brokenness. You know, just think about what's going on in the world today. There's, there's racism, there's evil. You have this uh, psychopath in Iran. I'm sorry, I don't know any other way to say it who's holding the Holocaust Never Happened conference this week. You know, and people from all over the world are coming to Iran to, to hear about how it never happened. I mean, that's just evil. That's sick. You have a war uh, in Iraq. We continue to hear about um, Shias and Sunnis killing each other. And I had someone send me an email a couple weeks ago saying, you know, could you explain to me why the Shias and Sunnis hate each other so much? And, well, you know, and I told some of the history of how those two sects developed. And the, but at the end, I said, you know, the bottom line is the reason they hate each other is because they're like us. <laughs> they're sinful people. And sinful people fight and hate and get into squabbles and, you know, have wars. I mean, that's, that's our problem. Uh, I think about Africa and um, the, the genocides that are happening in the Darfur region. Uh, Somalia is just chaos. Uh, and then there's the AIDS crisis, the, the biggest humanitarian crisis ever in the history of the human race is happening right now in Africa. And, you know, so it's like, where's the kingdom of God? Where is it? Did it happen or not? You know, uh, is Christmas just kind of a nostalgia fest where we sing songs that we like and, and light you know, candles and have poinsettias and it's really beautiful? And is it kind of like a head trip that we go on every year just to get ourselves out of 
the mess of the world just for a month or something like that. And, and I'm, I'm not just asking these questions to kind of kick off a sermon. These are questions I really struggle with uh, at a philosophical level when I think about the Christian faith. I think this is the biggest challenge to belief in God, is why is there so much evil and mess in the world if there is a God who is good and who's in control? And you might say, what about Christmas? Did it not take? And I think these are questions that we have to legitimately ask and, and be challenged with. Well, today we come to Luke chapter 17, the end of the chapter, and we're looking at Jesus' teaching on the kingdom of God. Verses 20 to 37 are all about God's kingdom, how it comes, what it looks like, how it's functioning in the world today. And verses 20 to 21, which is what we'll study this morning, is about what God's kingdom is doing today. And then verses 22 to 37, which we'll look at next week, is about the final full consummation of the kingdom of God. So um, let me just read the text. It's verses 20 to 21. Once having been asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, The kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation, nor will people say, Here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is within you. Or you could translate that, the kingdom of God is among you. And we'll come to that in a minute, how we should translate that phrase. But so here's the story. Jesus is being confronted by the Pharisees, his typical thing. They're harassing him. And, and they're like, all right, you're a rabbi. What's your opinion on the kingdom of God? How is that going to take place? So, so this is really about the kingdom of God. And as I was thinking about this passage, I was thinking, you know, we ought to really get into a little bit what the kingdom of God is, because we're throwing this phrase around. But what does that mean? I mean, you know, there's that movie with Orlando Bloom a couple years ago, Kingdom of Heaven, you know, is that what we're talking about? You know, what is it? I mean, it's not really a phrase we use a lot in our culture, the kingdom of God. So, so I was thinking about, like, giving you a definition of the kingdom of God, but then I was like, I want to do something different. I'm going to try something. I don't know if this is going to work or not. But I'm going to just tell you the story of the kingdom of God. I want to give you the narrative of what it is. Uh, so, you know, we'll try this. So, what I'm really going to do is I'm going to tell you the story of the Bible in about seven minutes. So, you ever wonder, like, what the whole thing's about? This is, you know, extreme, high flyover, cliff notes, 30,000 foot view of what the whole story of the Bible is, just in a little nutshell, through the lens of the kingdom of God. So, start in the beginning. When did, when did God's kingdom start? What did it look like? It was the Garden of Eden, right? That was the perfectly realized kingdom of God. You had God as the king. You had Adam and Eve were his like vice regents or viceroys on earth. Uh, there was perfect harmony between God and his people. They lived in obedience to him. They loved him. He loved them. There was no sin. It was righteous. Between Adam and Eve, there was perfect harmony. They didn't bicker. They didn't have fights. There was not war. There was not division. They were in love with each other. It was perfect humanity. In fact, Adam and Eve were naked, right? What's that all about? Well, it's because there was nothing between them. That's what it means. You know, they had no shame. It was a perfectly harmonious relationship. They were in perfect harmony with the world around them. The environment and humanity lived as they were meant to live. And so it was God's reign and God's values and God's glory and His righteousness just soaked, saturated the world. And that was the kingdom of God. That's the picture of, of what it was like. And we talk about you know, something being Edenic as being perfect. And it really was. Until the rebellion happened. There was little revolution in God's kingdom. Adam and Eve said, 
we want to be king and queen. And Adam said, actually, I want to be king. And you know, Eve's like, no, actually, I want to be queen. And so there, they fought. So they broke away from God. They broke away from each other. Sin entered the world. And you saw the kingdom of God just be obliterated in a sense in that Adam and Eve now fell. And they were at war with each other. Their relationship to the environment around them was corrupted. And so that's the world that we know. The world of sin and evil where people fight and have wars and get divorced and sue each other and, you know, companies fight. And this is the world in which we live. <clears throat> and so Adam and Eve have a kid, you know, Cain, and they have Abel. And the first murder takes place. Cain kills Abel. And that's the world that we have experienced. And so now what's God going to do? Is he just going to reestablish his kingdom? That's, that's what he has to do because it's his glory. And he could have done it one of two ways. He could have just went, bzz, lightning bolt, zapped them all, start over and reestablish his kingdom. That's one way he could have done it. Instead, what God does is he says, you know, I'm going to do something else. This is going to take a long time. It's going to be a process, but this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to reestablish my kingdom, and I'm going to incorporate some of these sinful, wicked, rebellious human beings back into my kingdom. And so he starts a plan, and it starts out with a single man. His name is Abraham. He picks this guy. You know, it's not like Abraham was special. He's like, I pick you. I'm going to use you, Abraham. Or, yep, you. I'm going to bless you. You're going to be my man. Through you, I'm going to make a great nation. And through your great nation, all the peoples on earth are going to be blessed through you. This is how my kingdom is going to come. The promise gets passed from Abraham to his son, Isaac. From Isaac to his son, Jacob, who's renamed Israel. Israel has 12 sons who become the 12 tribes. Those 12 tribes become a great nation. Then they're in bondage in Egypt. You know the story. Moses is now sent to lead the people out of bondage in Egypt. They come to Mount Sinai to get the Ten Commandments. And what was happening at Mount Sinai? What was happening was God was establishing a kingdom on earth. So here's God. He's the king. And He's giving His laws to His people. That's the Ten Commandments. I'm your king. Here are the laws. And, uh, in fact, he gives them a nation. He sends them to the land of Canaan. He's like, these are your boundaries here, 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 and here. This is the physical kingdom of God on earth. So during the Old Testament, God's kingdom was a physical, literal people with laws and culture. It was Israel. Um, and, in fact, God even had a throne. It was the Ark of the Covenant. You know from the you know, Indiana Jones movies, that Ark of the Covenant thing? That was like his throne that, in a sense, he sat on and reigned over his kingdom. And he even gave them a human king, uh, King David, ultimately, who was the sort of the archetype of the, the king. And King David sort of reigned under God over the people. So he was like a new Adam, who was the, the vice-regent of God. You know, it was like God's kingdom was here again. And if the people had just obeyed the laws of God, if, they, if the Israelites had just done what God said, His blessings would have poured out over the people. And every once in a while they did get it right, and they would obey and his blessings would be poured out. And it would be like the Garden of Eden. That was the idea. Cana was supposed to be a new Garden of Eden with a new kingdom of God. But they disobeyed again. And the kings disobeyed God. Even uh, great, the great King David had that thing with Bathsheba and he you know, fell. And all the kings fell in one way or another. And uh, the people of Israel worshipped other gods. And God kept putting up with it. He kept warning them. He kept warning them. And finally He said, that's it. It's over. And he sent foreign powers in to crush the people of Israel. First the Assyrians came in the 8th century. And then in the 6th century the Babylonians came and finished off what was left. 
So the people of God were just lost and the kingdom of God seemed to finish. And so the great question then is, well, what's God going to do now? His kingdom got squashed. I mean, he did all this work with Abraham and then all the Israel and then you know, King David and now it's all gone. What happened to the kingdom of God? That's the great question that in the time of Jesus, the people of God are asking. This is the burning question at the heart of every Jew in the time of Jesus. What's God going to do for his kingdom? Is it just lost? Because they had these prophecies from the Old Testament saying that someday God would restart his kingdom, that God would send a new King David, that God would uh, cleanse Israel of its sin and uh, get rid of the Gentile oppressors, oppressors and judge Israel's enemies. And so the Jews are longing, where is this kingdom of God? Because after the Babylonians, the Persians took over, and after the Persians, the Greeks took over, and after the Greeks, the Romans took over. And so that's where we are at the time of this story in Luke, is the Romans in charge of Israel, of the land of Canaan, and the Jews wondering, where's the kingdom of God? And so now we come to our story. Now we're So we started at creation, now we're here we are in our story. It says, once having been asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation, nor... Well, people say, here it is, or there it is. See, the Pharisees, and really most of Jewish literature at the time of Jesus, had a certain uh, belief in the way God's kingdom would come. We, we kind of maybe call it the Big Bang Theory. They expected a big bang. Boom! Kingdom of God arrives. Bah! It, it was going to be cataclysmic. It was going to be apocalyptic. There was going to be fire and blood and you know earthquakes and darkness and... And so the, the kingdom of this world, as represented by the evil Romans, was just going to be like, won't come to an end. There would be this dramatic cleavage between the two, and then a new kingdom of God would start with a new Messiah. And that's, who, that's what they were waiting for. So they're saying, Jesus, when is this going to happen? And Jesus says, no, 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 it's not going to happen the way you think it's going to happen. It doesn't come with careful observation. In other words, there's not going to be these dramatic signs, nor can people say, there it is. See, the, the Pharisees were looking to Jerusalem and, and they were saying, when is there going to be this political overthrow of the Romans? Instead, Jesus says, here's how the kingdom of God is coming. Verse 21, he says, the kingdom of God is within you. Or you could translate it, is among you. I prefer the translation among you rather than within you. Um, because here's why. Because if you say the kingdom of God is within you, that can carry the connotation that the kingdom of God is like, like it's in my heart. Like the kingdom of God is a personal, private reality. Uh, and, and the problem I have with that interpretation is that Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. So is Jesus really saying to the Pharisees, you know, the kingdom of God is a personal, private reality that's in your hearts. I, you know, these are the guys who are rejecting him. Uh, also, if you look at Luke and how Luke talks about the kingdom of God, you never find in the Gospel of Luke, Luke describing the kingdom of God in terms of a personal, private, internal reality. That's just not how it's ever talked about. Now, when you become a Christian, does the Holy Spirit come within you? Is there an internal reality? Of course. I'm just saying that I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about in this verse. Instead, what I think he's saying is the kingdom of God is among you. In other words, he's saying to these Pharisees, look guys, you're missing it. You're looking up in the heavens for some cataclysmic, apocalyptic, stars falling from the sky, meteorites hitting the earth. 
You're looking to Jerusalem for a major political overthrow of the Romans, but the kingdom of God already came. It's already among you, and you're missing it. What do you mean it's already among us? Where is it? And Jesus can say, well, you know, yesterday when I was, you know, last week we studied the healing of the ten lepers. You know, when I healed those lepers, that was the kingdom of God. What? Just hanging out with some lepers? And you know, the other day when I was, I was hanging out with those tax collectors and prostitutes and sinners, and I was telling them they needed to repent, and, and they were repenting, and they were coming into the kingdom, that was the kingdom of God. It's like, What? That's not where the kingdom of God comes. It doesn't come with the dirty lepers and the dirty sinners. It's got to be big and dramatic and boom, boom, boom. And Jesus is saying, you guys are missing the kingdom of God. It's already among you and you're not seeing it. Now this is a theme we've seen before in Luke, isn't it? That the kingdom of God comes quietly, sort of under the radar, without any fireworks and big bang. In fact, put a little uh, bookmark here. Turn back to Luke 13. Do you remember when we studied this passage? About five years ago, Luke chapter 13. (laughs) Uh, Luke chapter 13, verse 18. Then Jesus asked, What is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It's like an earthquake, a volcano. No, no, it's like a mustard seed which is the smallest seed that they knew in those days in that culture, which a man took and planted in his garden and grew and became a tree and the birds of the air perched in its branches. Again, he asked, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It's like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. You know, yeast, mustard seed, these tiny little things that are almost imperceptible, growing slowly and organically, And Jesus says, that's what the kingdom of God's like. And this is so different from what everyone was expecting. Even John the Baptist got a little thrown off by that. You remember John the Baptist was in prison and he's waiting for the big bang. And so he sends word to Jesus and he says, are you the Messiah or not? Did I get this right? And Jesus says, look, the lepers are being cleansed. The blind are being given their sight. The good news of the gospel is preached to the poor. Don't worry. The kingdom of God's happening. It's just happening God's way, which is surprising. God's ways are always surprising. And it's, it's growing. It's starting out small and it's growing slowly and gradually. It's already among you, but you didn't see it because you were looking for the woo, big thing, the big political overthrow, the cosmic happenings. But it already started under your noses and you didn't detect it. Jesus is telling them. <clears throat> and not only that, not only is it starting under their noses right now, but you, you know, think ahead in the story. I mean, all right, let's take the story of the kingdom of God a little further. Where is Jesus going? He's going to Jerusalem, right? Why is he going to Jerusalem? To sit on the throne of David and lead a revolution against the Romans? He's going to die on a cross. Like, what? That's not how the kingdom of God comes. You know, think, if there was ever a time in the history of the world where we might legitimately ask the question, did Christmas fail? It would be at the foot of the cross. Because here is Jesus, this one about whom so much was said, who did all these miracles, who had this huge following, who's entering Jerusalem on the Holy Week, and everyone's saying, blessed is the King of Israel. And he gets to Jerusalem and he gets crucified. And if there was ever a time you could say, man, God's kingdom, just it's done. It would be at the cross. And yet at the cross, 
was the decisive victory for the kingdom of God. It was at the seemingly lowest, hope, most hopeless, worthless point in the story that God was doing the greatest thing. Because that's how God works. You know, why the cross? Why is that so important? Well, you know, why did Jesus die on the cross? For our sins, right? We all know this from Sunday school. Jesus died for my sins. And that's so important because why, why was the kingdom of God disrupted in the first place? It was because of sin. Adam and Eve sinned. The problem in the, our world today, the ultimate root problem, is not lack of education. It's not lack of economic equality. The root problem with our world today is in my heart. It is sin. And so God sent Jesus to get to the nub of the problem. Because before God's kingdom can be reestablished on earth, it, our sin has to be dealt with. And so Jesus died as a sacrifice for sins. On the cross, He was suffering for the sins of Adam and Eve. He was suffering for the sins of Jeremy. He was suffering for the sins of all those who believe in Him. That was what was happening on the cross. So that our sin could be forgiven. So that that nub issue of, of sin could be forgiven and wiped out. So that now through forgiveness in the blood of Jesus, the blessings of God's kingdom could start coming into my life again. That's when it was happening. So the kingdom of God is among you. But if you don't know where to look for it, if you're looking for the big bang and the big hoo-ha, you're not going to look at the cross and say, wow, look at the cross. But when you have eyes to see, you're like, I get it. The cross is everything. That's why, yeah, we have some Christmas carols, but we have a lot more songs about the cross. The cross is even more important to us than the manger. The reason the manger is so that we could get to the cross of Jesus. And so people, did Christmas fail? No, it did not fail. The kingdom of God is among us. It is still working today. Still quiet, imperceptibly. And you say, well, how is the kingdom of God among us today? And i got one word answer for you. Well, two words, I guess, including the article. The church. The church is the kingdom of God. Where is God's kingdom today? It's in the local church. Let's pick up the story again. Jesus was crucified, right? Here we've got our story of the kingdom of God. He was buried. He was raised. He ascended to heaven. And then in heaven, He poured out His Holy Spirit and the church was born. That, that's the story of uh, Luke. You know, we're reading Luke right now. Did you know Luke uh, wrote, you know this, right? He wrote two books. Luke was the other book he wrote. Acts. And Acts is the story of the church. So Luke is about the kingdom of God coming in Jesus. Jesus goes up to heaven. He pours out the Holy Spirit. And now the church is born. Because wherever Jesus is, the kingdom of God is. That's why Jesus could say the kingdom of God's among you, because he was there. Wherever Jesus is, the kingdom of God is. And so where's Jesus today? He's in local churches. The church is the body of Christ. The church is filled up with the Spirit of Christ. The church carries the message of Christ, the, the gospel message. The church has the sacraments of Christ, baptism and communion. It's in the local gathering of believers. You, you know, read the New Testament. It's all about churches. It's letters written to churches. Revelation is messages sent to churches. It's, it's all about local churches. The way God's kingdom is moving today is through the local church. In other words, you want to know where God's kingdom is today. It's here among you in the local church. And in any local church where Christ is believed in, where Christ is worshipped, where the Holy Spirit is, where the Bible is taught. I mean, to be a church, I think you have to have Christ in your midst. You can call yourself a church, but if Christ isn't there, how can it be a church? But anyway... So that's what a church is. That's where God's kingdom is. Uh, which is so amazing. It's just such an encouraging thing to know that God is still working quietly 
under the radar in the world today through his church. And that church which began in the book of Acts and spread throughout the Roman Empire, that's the story of Acts, it didn't stop there. It's continuing. And today, I mean, the church is just exploding around the world. If you start reading about foreign missions, what, what God is doing around the world, it's so amazing. I mean, there are literally thousands and hundreds of thousands of missionaries in all these little countries that you've never, places you've never heard of and going to places you'll never go and I'll never go. And they're bringing the Gospel. You know, a peasant farmer in southern India becomes a Christian and God lays on his heart to preach the Gospel to some other tribes in the north of India who've never heard the Gospel. And so he goes there and he preaches the Gospel and he suffers privation and starvation and sometimes they beat him but he keeps preaching and a church has started and another church has started and now they start sending out missionaries to Vietnam and Central Asia and Laos and that's how God's kingdom is moving around the world and it's happening that story is literally happening thousands of times over every day but you never hear about it on the news that's not the big splash stuff that if you're looking for the big signs you're ever going to see that is how God's kingdom is moving today it's quiet, it's under the radar, and if you don't know where to look for it, you're going to miss it completely. And I think that's important because we have the same tendency to think that the center of God's kingdom is in the big events, don't we? Uh, we have that same tendency. You know, one of the areas that, where we tend to look for signs of God's kingdom is in politics. I think this is a really significant thing that we have to be very thoughtful about as evangelical Christians in America is not to confuse politics with the kingdom of God, even though obviously there's a, a relationship between the two. Um, you know, and I think sometimes we can. You know, we, Jesus is not in one political party or another. Jesus is not a Republican. Jesus is not a Democrat. He's the king of the kingdom of God <laughs> to whom all will bow their knees someday. He's the king. And so you really have to be careful here. And I think sometimes we can get so bent out of shape. You know, the Democrats win control of, the, of Congress this fall. And there are some people who are like, yes, you know, God's finally working to clear the house. And other people are like, oh, no, the country's going to hell in a handbasket. And, you know, where's God? Where's his kingdom? And we get all, you know, bent out of shape about this. God's kingdom is still here. It's already among you. It's you. It's you. And he's working. He's working in our midst. God is here. Um, and you know, God's kingdom flourishes whether the political climate of a country is favorable to the church or not. In fact, sometimes, I think you can make an argument from church history, that the church most flourishes when the political culture is against the church. That's when you often see the church exploding and flourishing, like it's doing in China today. You know, tens of millions of people have come to faith in China post a communist revolution. Because as the church is persecuted, just for some reason, it seems to grow under persecution. Not that I'm asking for persecution in America, but you know, that's what happens sometimes. And, and so what am I saying? That Christians should not be politically minded? Of course not. Be active. Write letters to your Congress people about things that you're concerned about. Vote. Speak your mind. We, we need to be an influence in our culture. All I'm saying is, let's not think that the kingdom of God comes through political action. It comes through the church. That's all I'm saying. Or, you know, another big thing we look to sometimes is media. We, we look at 
you know, we're in a pop culture, we're in a mass culture, and so our culture is governed by the top ten books and the, the top three movies, and, you know, we're all sort of focused on these big ideas that are presented through the arts and the media. And I think sometimes we can look at that. So, you know, Mel Gibson comes out with his movie, The Passion of the Christ, and we're like, it's making hundreds of millions, and we're like, yeah, the kingdom of God is winning! And then the Da Vinci Code comes out, we're like, no, the kingdom of God is losing! And then, <laughs> right... And then comes out the Chronicles of Narnia. God's winning again, right? Right? We, we, we just get so caught up in these big things. As if like the Da Vinci Code is going to bring in the gates of hell or something. Like, no, the gates of hell's already here. It's, it's in us. It's called sin. Satan already owns you know, the world. It's through the church that God is advancing. What am I saying? Am I saying, therefore, the Christian should not be involved in the arts or, or should not be involved in making movies? Of course not. Be involved in the arts. Make movies. Write plays if you're in the arts. Paint paintings. Witness for the kingdom of God through the arts if God has called you and gifted you in that area. All I'm saying is that the kingdom of God does not rise and fall upon the big observable things like that. It's in you. Where's the kingdom of God today centered? It's in this little church and in other little churches. And the kingdom of God comes when I get up and preach my little stupid sermon. You know, Jeremy talking for half hour. Ram, ram, ram. What is it? It's nothing. It's just air. But somehow that's how God's kingdom works. It's you teaching your little class of four-year-olds or first graders who don't seem to be paying attention and you're like, why did I sign up to be a Sunday school teacher? They're just running around the room. They don't listen. God's kingdom is coming. It's just so hard to see it. Uh, it's you giving your little tithe based on your fixed income. It's you sending your little email to your friend, inviting them to our little Christmas Eve gathering. Oh, the, just the little mundane stuff. But that's the epicenter of God's reign on earth today. That is how He is choosing to establish His kingdom through the foolish, paltry, weak, Silly things that this world looks at and goes, what? That's nothing. No, no, that's where God's working. I uh, got an email this a uh, couple weeks ago from a guy in our church who uh, has been reaching out to a, uh, a homeless guy he knows who's disabled and um, trying to get him into a, a vet hospital uh, for, for, you know, for veterans and trying to, to minister to him. And So he gave him a Bible from our church. and he sent, This is the way I know about it. He sent me an email saying, is it okay if I gave this guy a Bible from our church? Can I, you know, can I reimburse the church somehow for the Bible? And, you know, so I said, yeah, sure. The way you reimburse the church is, is typically a gift certificate to Tosca's made out to the pastor. That's, uh, just kidding, just kidding. <laughs> well, it is Christmas, so, you know, I, whatever. I'll leave that to you and the Holy Spirit. But uh, I, I, was like, I was like, no, you know, give the Bible. Give the, if you know someone needs a Bible, take Bibles from our pews. We'll order more. They're still printing them. It's great. Just give them a Bible. And it, but I'm like, there's the kingdom of God. It's one guy seeing a need, taking the Bible, giving it to somebody, helping this guy get into a hospital. And then he sent me another email this week and, and uh, he said, hey, the hospital told him, this guy's doing so much better. He says, you wouldn't recognize him. He's doing so much better. And that's the kingdom of God. That's how God's choosing to work. This is how he operates. Even in global things like AIDS. I mean, AIDS is just so overwhelming. You know, Bono's on this big crusade to, uh, to get people to care about the AIDS crisis. I mean, it's a huge deal. So how do we deal with that? Where's the kingdom of God in that? And, you know, I'll tell you where the kingdom of God is. It's, it's with the six people who went from our church this summer 
down to South Africa in conjunction with three other people from another local church and a handful of people from another local church. I mean, just regular people. They went down to South Africa for a week and they taught abstinence-based education to at-risk teens and the, the curriculum was based upon the character of Jesus and they just taught it. And these aren't school teachers. These are not educational experts. They're just regular people reaching out doing their thing. There's the kingdom of God working. It's happening around us, but we don't see it because we tend to look for the big things. So just be encouraged. Did Christmas fail? No, no. Is Christmas happening the way we thought it might happen? No, it's happening the way God planned it to happen, which is foolishly, subtly, slowly, under the radar. And just a word to anyone here who's maybe wouldn't call yourself a Christian yet, but you're checking it out, but you still have your doubts and questions. And, you know, one of the things that, as I talk to people who are checking out Christianity and investigating it, is like, you know, they're like, I need some more proof. I need evidence. I need to know for certain that this stuff is real. Can you give me an argument? Can you give me a, you know, a book to read? And, and, and you know, in a sense, you're kind of looking up at the, the stars, right? You're saying, give me a sign. <laughs> give me a big proof. Show me a, a big bang Woohoo kind of thing that'll make me say, wow, that's amazing. And maybe God has already given you the sign. Maybe it's the person sitting next to you in the pew right now who invited you today and who loves you and who is praying for you. Maybe that's the sign. And you're like, well, that, that could be, but, but I want something bigger. And it's like, well, maybe God isn't into big. Maybe that's how God's working. And maybe the reason God gives an, a, enough evidence but not conclusive evidence is because He wants you to take the step of faith from what you know to what you don't know. Because ultimately we're saved by faith. And so if it's all just a logical algorithm, then you, you know, where's the faith? Where's the salvation? And by the way, if you're going to be an atheist, that takes faith too. Uh, everything takes faith. The question is, which direction are you going to step with your faith? And, and so... You know, take that step of faith. God has put somebody in your life who loves you. That person is a, is a hand of the kingdom of God in your life. And so, grab it and take the step of faith. Come to Christ and, and just see. You know? And if it's not real, you'll know. You'll know in a year if it's not real. But, but put your faith in Christ. You will not be disappointed. And so that's how God's kingdom comes. It is small. It is already among us. It is working through the local church today, which is the body of Jesus on earth. But you say, Pastor, is there ever going to be a day when it's not small anymore, but it's big? Will there ever be a day when, when it won't just be a few people going to teach curriculum in South Africa, but the world will be free of AIDS? Will there ever be a day when there won't be war? Will there ever be a day when it's like Eden on earth again? And the kingdom of God isn't subtle and secret, but it's huge and manifested. And sin and injustice and racism and poverty and war are forever banished. Will that day ever come? And the answer that Jesus has for us is yes. And we'll look at it next Sunday. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we praise You because You are the King and Your Kingdom is coming. And Lord, we delight in the way that You are subverting the world's expectations through Your wisdom. Only a God as wise as You could accomplish 
the kingdom through the cross. Only a God as wise as you could accomplish the kingdom through persecuted churches around the world, through a foolish little gospel message, through weak little Christians offering a hand to somebody else. Only a God as wise as you could achieve victory through apparent defeat. And so you are magnified for your your greatness and your wisdom. Lord, use our church. Use the people here. Help them when they see all those nasty headlines and things to just realize that they are the answer, that Christ in them is the answer, that they might reach out to the people around them, that the kingdom of God might come. And so, Lord, help us to have hope. Help us to be uh, a foolish people who are foolish enough to believe, God, that you can do the impossible and that we might obey you and love you and serve you. And, Lord, for those who do have legitimate questions about you, who are thoughtful people wondering if you truly are the Son of God, I pray, Jesus, that you would answer that question for them. That, that you would speak into their hearts because ultimately that's what it takes. You have to speak into our hearts. That's how I came to know you, Lord, is because what the preacher was saying suddenly started resonating in my soul. And I pray, Lord, that you would resonate in their soul so that they might know for themselves that there is a God and that he has a son and that his name is Jesus. Amen.